All right, we got Dr. Dara O'Carroll from Honolulu, Hawaii. You're an ER doctor. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. You know, and uh, I got I uh, first heard about you. I I wrote a vi- I, I read a Vice article. Uh, you wrote uh, an article called "As an ER doctor, I I need you to know these things about the coronavirus." And uh, everything about it resonated with me. You know, I have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym in, uh, in Los Angeles, California. And, uh, you know, people, people they're, they're, they're going crazy, right, everywhere. Um, so I really appreciate your time. You know, I know you're, you're, you're super busy with, with everything going on. And so I really appreciate you making the time to, to you know, educate people and, and, and talk to me on top of everything that you're already doing. So thank you. Oh, no, you're welcome, and uh, no, thank you for trying to spread uh, a good message. And um, I think uh, there is a lot of, uh, not quite pandemonium, but, you know, some people are panicking, and I urge people to be, you know, stay, uh, stay sane and, and right the ship, as, as we say, uh, because if one person uh, starts panicking, it can be uh, infectious, just like the virus. And one thing I commented on my article back uh, I wrote that in late February, and it was published on March 3rd. That the most dangerous thing to us is not the virus itself, but the potential for mass hysteria, racism, violence, that sort of thing. Right. So if we all just kind of realize that we're all humans, we're all going to get through this, um, there is a risk more to uh, people who have of uh, uh, comorbidities like diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. which is predominantly high your population but your population may have family members and grandmas grandpas right. uh, who do have diseases and they, they raises your risk significantly so the simple things that we can do we should all know about to uh quote unquote flatten the curve and we can talk about that a little bit later yeah so, yeah introduction and um yeah, yeah let's get going yeah, you know, I, I wrote down that exact quote, you know, the most dangerous threat in the coming months. And like you said, you wrote this, uh, was it in February? Uh, beginning of February? Yeah, I wrote this. Uh, Vice asked me what my opinions were. Mm. And I said, yes, I've got a lot to say. And a little bit of background on why I had that opinion and had that sort of framework is that uh, not only am I, uh, as an ER physician, I also have been trying to slide into education, not just of my patients, but I think what every good physician does, doesn't matter what type of physician they are, is every patient interaction, you're educating your patient. Mm-hmm. And so what mm-hmm. I've found is something that uh, not only am I, I adept at, but uh, enjoy the most is educating on a little bit more of a broader scheme mm-hmm. and more people. And so um, in that light, I had... Uh, uh, was asked to be a medical consultant on a Netflix show called Pandemic, mm. which is uh, eerily timed. Uh, and I had read some articles that, like, oh, wow, this was the most elaborate uh, Netflix um, advertising scheme ever. But I assure you it isn't because we started working on that show, and it's a six-part series on Netflix. It's, out, uh, it's already out? It was out. It came out on Ju- uh, July. No, January like twentieth or something like that. Oh so that, my right god! Point, it was just blossoming out of oh my Wuhan. god. It hadn't really reached all the different counties and, and districts of China, but it was blossoming. And so we started working on that series. I was a medical consultant, basically telling the production team who 
had little or no science background saying, you know, like, this is possible and this is not. Like, these are the people you need to talk to. Um, and then I was talking to um, the heads of the CDC, the heads of NIH, like Dr. Fauci, which many of you have probably seen on the news. Great mm-hmm. guy. I'm so happy that he's in charge of what this uh, response should be mm-hmm. and is happening. Um, but basically, the series is all about the real potential of a pandemic, which is now happening. And so it's very eerie to be involved with uh, 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 an effort like that and then for it to come to fruition right after we finished. That's, that's, um, it is eerie. And uh, <laughs> I would say it's un- unfortunate, you know, but um, I'm, I'm glad you, yeah, I'm glad you're able to, uh, just, I guess, just spread the right information, right? Spreading the right information because there's just so much inf- misinformation that it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it sucks. <laughs> you don't know who to believe. Yeah, yeah. I spent yeah, about exactly. three, four hours yeah. yesterday trying to trying to learn and l- listen to the experts. And you know, I'm glad I actually got a lot of the common common things right. And one of the yep. things was that you know, like, you know, the all the experts say that it will affect uh, infect the majority of the earth Earth's populations. Uh, many estimates include up to seventy percent of us. Yes, that that is correct. Um, and, and the reason being yeah. that uh, if you look at just the dynamics and the mechanics of the virus is that one concept I'd like to introduce is the concept of r not, And basically it's an R with a zero behind it. And uh, it's basically the replication number or the transmissibility rate. It's, those are simplified terms to describe it. And it's mm-hmm. more just like a, a ratio. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, every virus has an R dot, and or, or communicable disease. It doesn't have to be a virus. Bacteria can even have an R dot. Mm-hmm. And so, what an R dot is 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 based is how many if you were to have it, how many on average, how many people would you spread it to? Mm. And so, uh, it's, there's a lot of different factors that go behind it, such as duration, how long you actually are infectious. Mm. Um, there's opportunity, how many people you come in contact with on a day-to-day basis. Mm. There's transmissibility, meaning like, all right, well, how, if you do come in contact with somebody, how transmissible is this virus? Like, how is it getting across when I cough or when I sneeze and those droplets spread on you or spread onto a table surface and you touch that and then you touch your eye and mouth. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you also have to, um, factor in susceptibility like in a, in a population in a whole like how susceptible is that population mm-hmm. and this being a brand new virus mm-hmm. nobody no immune system nobody has seen it before we're all susceptible so mm-hmm. so in general um so i'll go back to the numbers that and if the R naught usually comes can be anywhere from zero all the way to the highest R naught is, is probably in measles which is about 12 Hmm. That'll be the highest end of the spectrum. So hmm. with measles, and that's why measles is so infectious, is yeah. that you get it, you're spreading it on average to 12 different people. And hmm. you can see how that, like, if everybody's susceptible, if everybody is not immune, and that's why we immune to uh, get immu- uh, vaccinations to measles, it's just going to, like, skyrocket. Yeah. 12 plus 12, you know, 12 times 12 times 12, like, uh, that's just, like, a, an explosion. So... Um, if an R naught is less than one, meaning like if you get it and you, on average you transfer it to less than one person, that infect, that infection is eventually going to die out. Even an R naught of one or unity, as they call it, if you just transfer it to one person, it'll eventually die out because we're not all huddled in these caves like bats are. That's mm-hmm. where most of these viruses mm-hmm. come from. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, the R naught, getting back to what the R naught of this virus is, is about two to two point five. And so that doesn't sound like a lot, but in comparison to say seasonal influenza, which you know everybody can think to the last time they've had this flu, I, I usually get it almost every. Not almost every year, but more years than not. Um, I would say half the time, even though like, I practice all the precautions needed around patients that I see with the flu. I get the flu shot every year, which, you know, isn't perfect, but it's the best we have because the flu mutates um, so readily throughout the season. Um, the, the flu, seasonal flus are not, it's only 1.3 on average. Huh. That's crazy in that, like, huh. this virus that we're seeing now, the are not is twice that of flu, and flu goes global. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, wow. So when I was looking at the numbers that are coming out of China CDC, they posted this very, very detailed and terrific um, epidemiological study out of China. Uh, I think it was February 14th, Valentine's Day, that said, hey, look, these are the first 47,000 infections that we found. These are the mortality rates in different age groups. These are the people that are susceptible. But here's what our like predicted R naught was. I was like, holy shit, two point five? Like, wow. And then at that point it had already jumped to France, it had already jumped to Italy, mm. kind of blossomings everywhere. And then once you started seeing non contractable or community spread, it was just you know, cats out of the bag at that point. Like, yeah. What are we doing here? So so R naught is a great kind of thing to keep keep in mind. And so it's it's double what we normally see in flu. That's, I mean, you, the the flu you said is point three. Sorry, one point three. One point three. One point. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, double. I got you. <laughs> I thought you yeah. said point three. Okay. I, I have a question. Why Why do we get these things from bats? These viruses. These crazy viruses. Yeah. Good question. So, uh, what a, a virus is just like any um, biological life being on Earth. Or ever, I guess, if it's out of Earth. But, um, huh, right. but it's, it's, it's simply made to make more of itself, right? That's mm. why you and I are on this planet, is to make more of us, right? Yeah. And so that's what a virus is trying to do. And so bats are mammals, and mm-hmm. they have very similar immune systems to our own, uh. just like pigs have very, very similar immune systems to our own. And also pigs live in big groups, but bats live in these massive, massive mm. colonies, mm-hmm. right? And they're, in, and they're in these caves, all huddled, hanging from the walls mm-hmm. next to each other. Mm-hmm. When one of them gets the virus and, you know, coughs or just touches the next guy, it explodes, you know? So the virus has a chance to make it a lot of itself really, really quickly. Mm. Uh, and so that's why we see a lot of bats as, as reservoirs for uh, Marburg virus, which is a very close cousin to um, to Ebola. We think mm. Ebola's reservoir is from bats, but we're not. We don't have con- uh, concrete proof, but we do with Marburg. Um, and so this virus is roughly ninety six percent genetically similar to a bat coronavirus. Huh. And so. So jumping on to what coronaviruses are, and they're named corona, not because of the Mexican beer. That's probably everybody knows that. <laughs> but, I mean, how unfortunate is that? that like, corona, like, people are stopping drinking corona. It's the, I, I enjoy corona. It's just like, terrible, terrible luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the next virus is going to be like Heineken virus or something. <laughs> right? Oh, but, yeah. but yeah, 
It's called Corona because on microscope, the virus has these spikes on the outside of it. It's called spike protein. And what those spikes actually do is that it helps latch on to cells, to your human cells. And that's mm -hmm. how it kind of actually initially infects into the cell. And on a microscope, it all actually looks like a corona, or which I think in Latin means like kind of like halo. You mm. know, the sun. The yeah. sun it has a corona. Yeah. Uh, so it's like this crown, also crown halo type of thing. And so these spike proteins, um, some, and it's really hard to keep up to date with how many studies are coming out on this virus. Within the last two to three weeks, I think there's been 700 scientific studies and papers that have just blown up about this. And rightly so, like we're all devoting so much energy to it. Yeah. Uh, but this, this spike protein has this molecule called, uh, and I'm probably, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but it's spelled F-U-R-I-N, furin. And what this furin does uh, is uh, the spike protein actually activates this furin molecule, which I guess uh, the easiest way to describe it is pulls the virus into the cell And what a virus does when it gets into a cell is it hijacks that cell's DNA and um, machinery and tells the cell to start producing more of the virus. And then the virus gets so so uh, rampant inside that cell that it basically just bursts. So that's mm. how like a virus works mm. uh, in simplified terms. Mm -hmm. uh, so this furin molecule, uh, SARS did not activate furin. SARS was the last big coronavirus. You can think of this, the, the actual name of this virus is SARS-2. Mm, SARS-2. Yeah, SARS-1 uh, was back in 2003 and actually had a much higher mortality rate of mm. about 10% for all comers. We're looking at somewhere around 1% to 2% in mortality rate for this virus. But SARS did not activate furin. And so there needs to be a lot more studies done because furin... Is not just in the lungs where most people initially get sick and get the uh, bilateral or both lung pneumonia. Furin is in the liver, and that's why we're seeing the very sick patients starting to have some liver failure. And also, furin is in the small intestine. Hmm. And <laughs> I've seen some uh, some pretty good memes out there about like why the hell are people going out and buying diarrhea because this virus isn't giving diarrhea. And they're right; the rate of diarrhea is only about four or five percent. Um, but <laughs> But we are finding virus in the small intestine, which is because furin is also there. So it's very, very kind of early days um, with regards to the virology studies. Uh, but we're hope, hoping to get a better, better handle on it. Uh, on a positive note, that furin is being activated. It's bad in that the sense that it makes the virus more infectious and, and pathological to humans. But it also is now an opportunity. For for uh, a medicine to treat it. So if you can find an, uh, a medicine to counteract that furin molecule from bringing the virus in, then you may have the actual treatment for it. Hmm. Okay, I hope, I hope so. hope that we, get, we head towards that direction sooner than later. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're also repurposing some. So uh, with regards to treatment, uh, we have three different uh, kind of modes we can go through um and if you think back to our not susceptibility when we're yeah. all susceptible a vaccine if we were to have a vaccine it would make us all unsusceptible and this virus would just be oh yeah i get from somebody i've already been vaccinated i'm, I'm it's not going to go anywhere the r not's going to drop to zero and you know the infectious process is going to die 
Um, so a vaccine is, is obviously one route to go, but it's just going to uh, take a long, long time to develop uh, vaccines. How, um, how long do you think? Uh, at the earliest, a, a year to 18 months mm. is what most patients and Dr. Fauci, the head of the NIH, um, uh, are saying because if you don't properly test a vaccine and make sure it's efficacious and not actually harmful, it, yeah. can, it can actually be harmful. A vaccine can be harmful if mm. you haven't studied it properly. They've tried to make – there's different types of coronaviruses that infect different um, uh, animals, and there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a type of coronavirus that infects cats and is actually pretty dangerous to cats. Mm. And they tried to make a vaccine for, for cats, and the vaccine actually made the d- disease worse. And to, to sort of kind of put it in, uh, in picture form, how your immune system works or how a vaccination works is that you inject a little bit of piece of a virus mm. or bacteria that's not going to um, cause the, the disease itself, but it primes your immune system to make these Y-shaped antibodies. Mm. And so when you, in the future, when your immune system is now built up, it has these antibodies, when that you uh, encounter that, that pathogen the virus, uh, your antibodies attach to that pathogen and then your 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 uh, immune system kind of uses it as like handles and then takes it away and eats it up and kills it before it can infect anything else. But it has to in kind of encompass the pathogen. It has to surround it in a whole circle. And so if, if your vaccine doesn't develop antibodies that surround it all, it can actually make it so, or only hold on to it slightly, um, it can actually make it so... The virus isn't just infecting like your lung cells, but it's now infecting. It'll fall off of the antibody and then and then infect the uh, white blood cell or your immune system, and so you're infecting more of, of your helper cells that are supposed to kill this mm. thing. And that's what in this cat vaccine. So we have to be very careful about developing, and that's why it's going to take quite. I think unheard of to develop a vaccine within a year for mm. something that is so new. Yeah. Um, but it is going to be at minimum that length. Um, but didn't they get something wow. from the SARS, the SARS one, from the first, the first uh, round? Didn't they get some kind of uh, vaccine or something to help with that? Uh, they they have some a head start, and that's mm-hmm. what's giving us a little bit more of a, a, a head start. Really, um, one interesting thing that um, a really kind of innovative company um, that was featured in Pandemic uh, that we followed throughout the six episodes is uh, Distributed Bio um, uh, in San Francisco. And what they're doing is not making a vaccine, but making what they call monoclonal antibodies. And so a monoclonal antibody is basically, it's giving an IV infusion to somebody that has just one type of antibody. Like they all are, they all fit the same and do this. Mm. same thing so just one clone of an antibody and so what they're trying to do is they're repurposing the monoclonal antibodies that were developed for SARS and they're trying to um, genetically engineer or biologically engineer through DNA sequences and and manipulating those so that it'll all just attach and attach well and attach very uh, and encompass the uh, coronavirus in all surfaces so if you, you can inject that to, say, like a health worker or people on the front lines, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it won't last forever because antibodies eventually degrade, but it'll last for at least a good eight, eight weeks or so. So you give that to the people that are on the front lines or people that are 
uh, highly ill, then this will start kind of the R naught will then get lower and get less than one. So that's another another way to treat it. And then the last thing is repurposing and um, um, antivirals that we already have. Mm. So some um, HIV drugs called uh, one is called Kalitra. It's a combination of two different drugs have been shown to maybe a, a help, but the studies are still one inconclusive and two not 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 overwhelmingly help uh, helpful. Um, another one is, is chloroquine, which is a old anti-malaria uh, mm. drug about that 70 years old. And it's been out of use because most malaria at this point has developed a resistance to it. Mm. But um, there's some weak evidence, but weak being at least positive, that like if I was to get somebody who was really sick, uh, like I came into my emergency department, I work tonight, so if I was not getting a lot of cases here in Hawaii yet, but we are, mm. um, I would throw some uh, chloroquine at them. But perhaps the most promising with regards to the treatment that we give now, and the reason that these are promising is that we know that they're safe in humans because they've been given before and we know the effects. So we don't have to do those studies to be like, all right, what are the side effects when you take these? So we know the uh, potential side effects. Mm -hmm. um, is uh, Resdemivir. It's a uh, drug that was developed for the Ebola outbreak and has mm -hmm. proven not to be very efficacious in Ebola. But there's been studies that have shown that this can work in um, in coronavirus, not really well, but at least help. And um, uh, right now, it's it's still in kind of proprietary phase. But yeah. we can apply, like, say, we have somebody really sick, and we can apply for mm. what we call a compassion. And um, what they're trying to do now is study whether a five day course or a ten day course of this is the way to go. Because you can't make, if everybody in the world is going to need this drug, you can't make enough of it. So yeah. um, if a five-day course is just as efficacious as a 10-day course, then let's do that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that would be like the three modes of treatment that I think we can do if you were to infect it. Yeah. So how, how how long are we contagious for? We how long are you contagious for if you if you have the, the coronavirus? Yeah, uh, we can talk a little bit of kind of about the the I guess incubation period. Incubation, and, you know, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, shit, I'm asymptomatic. Do I have it?" Um, <sighs> good news. Let's start with good news because there's been a lot of bad news, right? Yeah, right. Uh, good news is uh, 81 percent of people have, and that's eight. Let's just say eight out of ten people in a room are just going to have like mild symptoms, mm. like cold, like a little bit of runny nose, maybe a little bit of fever. A little bit of sore throat. And the predominant symptoms are, like, fever is the most common symptom. About mm. 88 usually get fever, followed by a dry cough, then by a kind of fatigue. You might get a little bit of kind of sputum production. Um, and so those sound like the flu. It sounds very similar to the flu. So if you think if you've ever had the flu, it's, it's very similar, unless... There's less more of the shaking chills that you can get with this than, than in the flu. I see. And I don't know the reason behind that, but that's just where the epidemiological studies have kind mm -hmm. of thrown. Other less frequent but common ones are sore throat, headache, uh, a little bit of nausea and vomiting. Congestion is less, like kind of, you know, feeling like your nose and your sinuses are, are swollen. Diarrhea, only about 4%. So the run on toilet paper, as I said, is a little bit <laughs> odd. Whatever. Um, so, uh, uh, but shortness of breath is 
is the one that I think people should look out for. Mm. If you're ever feeling like you can't breathe, that is a reason to ex- get care sooner than later. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise, you should probably avoid care as, as much as possible. Mm. Um, just because it's your civic duty, really. Um, and it's tough to kind of wrap people's heads around that. Is that, look, the more you, if you contract this, if you contract something that sounds and feels like the flu, uh, at this point, we're still in flu season, but it's still possible um, to have the flu. You either have the flu or you have this. Mm-hmm. So when somebody comes in to me, I'm testing them for the flu, and if flu is negative, then you probably have this. But the only way that you're doing yourself any favors is if you're so sick that you're having shortness of breath, then I will admit you to the hospital. But if you're anything less than that, all you're doing is risking everybody and everything that you come in contact from your doors to ours of catching this virus. Mm. Mm. And, that, and that's why the, the methods in China, like China's cases drastically decrease once they, <laughs> and China can do this because people are in China are used to their liberties being stripped away at the yeah. drop of a bat. You know, they basically said, nobody can go anywhere. You're staying home. They had drones flying through the streets. They had speakers on the corners of the streets saying, don't go anywhere, stay at home. Hmm. And that's the reason why China has had, you know, almost thousands, like four or 5,000 cases a day curved down to now like 20 or 40, somewhere around there. Hmm. And the reason, uh, the reason why this virus can spread so quickly, and I know you asked me about incubation period, but we'll get to that now, is that the incubation period or the period between when this virus gets into your body to the time you start developing symptoms, on average, is about four to six days. But it can be as, like any, um, you take a, any statistic, doesn't matter what it is, there's usually like a bell curve, right? There's right. So 95% of people are going to be in that, those, those that big bell chunk of the curve, but two and a half are going to be all the way on the left, and two and a half are going to be all the way on the right. So you can get this. An incubation period can be as short as one day, but it can be as long as fourteen days. And I think there's been some reports as even higher than that. Hmm. But by far and large, it's going to be on average five to six days. So okay. before you start getting symptoms. I see. And, but the the dangerous thing about this virus, um, which makes it which has helped it spread throughout the globe is the latent period. So the latent period is that like the incubation period, it starts when you contract the virus. Mm. But the latent period is a time not, not between where you contract it to becoming symptomatic. It's from when you contract it to being infectious to others. Mm. And so the latent period in this COVID-19 outbreak is a good bit shorter than the incubation period. So what that means is there's a couple days and there still needs to be more studies to really flush this out where you will be asymptomatic, but you are infectious enough to spread it, which is scary shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's why it's going like growing like wildfire, right? It's going, gone over the world. Yeah. Um, 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 so, so what about touching, like, you know, you go into the plane or we're just touching like the door. How, how long I heard it stays like three days, stays alive for three days. Is that I'm true? Sure. 
on certain services, there was a recent study. Um, you know, you're pretty up to date because that study only came out. <laughs> I, spent, I spent about three, four hours yesterday just trying to I, – I listened to the, the panel, the John Hopkins, you know. It was, it was really boring for me, but I just had to, I just had to like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's good. It's good. Good. Thank you. Yeah, so yeah, um, on certain surfaces, mostly stainless steel and like some polyurethane surfaces, mm. it can it can be on the surface for up to three days. Whether that there's enough on there to actually transfer infection, we don't know. Mm. We don't know the answer to that. But um, on typical surfaces, like let's say your clothes, your couch, um, um, probably on the order of hours to a day. Mm. I would, I would wow. hypothetically. However, what, what does kill this virus is um, UV light can kill this virus. So most things that are outdoors, like in the sun, mm. frequently, interesting, will, will be less infectious. Not saying not, if somebody just touched it or somebody just coughed on it or whatever, like it's still going to be infectious. But uh, one interesting thing that I learned, out, learned about through in research for this pandemic series is that Viruses transmit on dust particles that, you know, you've got dust storms in, in the Sahara and Africa that mm. blow all the way to Florida and yeah. vice versa right. from Mongolians all the way through Japan, all the way to the Pacific Northwest of our states in mm. Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they've been able to co- collect DNA of viruses um, from, you know, transglobally, which is nuts. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But they've been exposed to UV light throughout that whole course, so they don't transfer infection. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw there was a, a Netflix. Uh, I forgot the name, but the the third rock or the some you know just how the Sarah blows it all the way over to the Amazon. It gives mm-hmm. the salt and just how everything's interconnected. The whole world, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, way more connected and uh, uh, than we think and. To jump back in history, the last time we saw something of this global nature was the Spanish flu of 1918, mm-hmm. which killed, most estimates are 50 to 100 million people, uh, which at that time, when there was only 1.7 billion people, was a, a huge chunk of the population. Yeah. And it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges, because right. they're very, very different. Um the reason why that flu strain was so bad was that, and there's a lot of, there's no certainty with where that flu strain actually came from. And it didn't come from Spain. It just was the first place where there was a really big outbreak and they named it, started calling it Spanish flu. And unfortunately Spain is now been <laughs> labeled. And that's why they didn't want to call this the Wuhan virus. Yeah. You know, because Wuhan would be F would be fucked for the rest of, the, yeah. of their, yeah. Um, but uh, the numbers were eerily similar. Like the, it was about two uh, it killed about two percent of the population that had contracted it. Um, but most people who contracted um, Spanish flu who died were actually more of our lineage, like younger, healthy people. Mm. And the reason is that that strain of flu was an H1N1, basically classifying what proteins are there outside of this flu virus that our, our, our body recognizes um, that we can make vaccines to and that uh, our medications work against. So it was an H1N1 virus. Mm. And the young people 
who had, had never been exposed to an H1N1 virus in their, in their lifetime. But the elderly population um, uh, had. And so they, it kind of conferred a, tra- a trans immunity, a cross immunity. So they weren't dying, but the people who had never been exposed to it were dying. Uh. And that, that is why we think, and it's not proven, is that, and that's why we think the young persons, and thank God this is not affecting our kids. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't had a death less than 10 years old, which is great. Yeah, um, that was my that was a question I was going to ask you, why it's not infecting yeah. the, younger, the younger population, the kids. Yeah, uh, and the hypothesis is that um, about a quarter to a third of common colds uh, are the more benign type of coronaviruses, which are alpha coronaviruses. Mm. So more severe ones are the beta ones, which are um, this one, COVID-19, uh, SARS, which came from um, bats as well, mm. and then uh, the intermediate host um, from SARS was a civet cat. So it jumped from bats to this weird exotic cat in China to us. And then um, MERS, which is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which is a beta coronavirus as well, jumped from bats to camels. And actually, every, every month there's a couple cases of uh, MERS that bubble up in Saudi Arabia, but hmm. we've got a handle on it. In Saudi Arabia, it really kind of clamps down when it happens. What what do they do? What do they? What kind of things do they do when that happens in Saudi Arabia? They basically just absolutely quarantine whoever has it. Mm-hmm. Contract contact tracing, being like, and it's mostly camel herders and camel workers. I see. So, like, who who have you gotten contact with? We're gonna isolate you. And basically, what we tried to do in the beginning containment phase of this outbreak. Um, but MERS, MERS, and SARS. Remember when I was talking about that latent period yeah. and incubation period? They're yes. roughly the same period. So with SARS, you only are infectious once you have symptoms. So it was much easier to control because, mm. all right, if you have symptoms, get the fuck in the hospital. Yeah. We're going to isolate you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you'll be fine. Yeah. But also, most people with like, with MERS, 40% of people died with that. That's yeah. That's wow. and, and one thing that's going to factor into the R naught is that all right, well we want to keep this this vessel that the virus is in, we, we want to keep you alive long enough that you can go and spread us to other people. But if you kill if you kill or incapacitate that person or vessel really quickly, you're not gonna have enough it's now gonna affect the opportunity component of R naught. And now, now you're not gonna have the opportunity to go and spread this to other people. Mm-hmm. Um Going back to why kids aren't infected, I sorry, sorry, I got a little, a little tangent, but why kids aren't infected is that twenty-five to thirty percent of their um, common colds are these more benign alpha coronaviruses. So there's a good chance if you guys had a cold, your last one was a coronavirus. Oh, and so, so kids share these in such frequently. You know, they're all like kind of playing around each other and like you know giving each other noogies and hugs yeah. and sharing play-doh and they just coughed on it yeah. and toys and they're not washing their hands picking so. the nose <laughs> picking their, yeah yeah doing all those things and so they share these coronaviruses very frequently and get them very frequently i don't have children but my friends that do get them a lot as well yeah so yeah. um so we think that because they do have these uh common colds on a regular basis so that's conferring some sort of cross immunity 
that being said, if you have kids and you've recently had a lot of colds or you get a lot of colds, maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying definite, maybe that might be helping you out in this current, mm. current state. Um, it's it's good, uh, you know. Having three kids myself, it you know it gives you peace of mind a little bit that it's not affecting the your kids, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, what's your what's your advice for people regarding you know exercise and fitness? Sure. Yeah. Um, good, good question. Um, in general, I mean, um, exercise is good for the health. You know, mm-hmm. it keeps your cardiovascular system strong. It keeps your pulmonary uh, system strong. Immune, right? <laughs> Yeah, and your immune system. But there is something to touch base on this immune system. Um, and uh, there's a really good study. This came out in 2012 um, by uh, a, a group of researchers down in Rio de Janeiro, hmm. uh, which is really kind of fitting for your, your podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was uh, Rodrigo Terra of the Medical Sciences College in, in Rio de Janeiro. And what they wanted to look at is like, all right, so what – type and of volume and intensity exercise is going to affect immunity. And so what we found is that high in, and what they found uh, was that high, high intensity exercise um, can actually have this, what they call that open window that makes you a little bit more prone after, for probably about 24 hours or so mm. after a very high intensity exercise it makes you more prone to infection. It actually dampers down the, your immune response for a little while. Mm. It makes sense because when you're exercising really hard, right, right. you're pushing your muscles to like break as hard as possible. Um, there's a lot of machinery uh, on the cellular mechanism that's that's being activated. Mm-hmm. So you're you're building up these um, lactic acid. You're building up right. basically building up inflammation mm-hmm. and sort of counteract that your body is producing these anti-inflammatory cytokines mm-hmm. basically basically chemical messengers to mm-hmm. say hey look i know you're you're working your ass off quadriceps but, but you know we're gonna stop this inflammation as, as much as we can and we're gonna counteract it because it's not you know your muscle fiber would probably just burst you know um so these cytokines anti-inflammatory cytokines actually help you get through something that's very strenuous and without it you probably have the capacity to you know do one more set do three mm-hmm. more sets mm-hmm. do, do. Mm-hmm. but that anti-inflammatory cytokine cascade still doesn't stop after exercise because the inflammation process can still happen after you stop and so there's this window where your body is telling itself cool down don't freak out. Um, we need your, your inflammation process to just tamper down for a while. So this window could make you susceptible. And this is during really high intense exercise they found. Right. So uh, I would say like, what would you classify as high intense, like hit exercise, uh, rolling, you know, um, um, you know like, like, like Scott Sonnen who, who introduced us, right. Um, you know, in the tack fit, uh, you know, it was called the world's smartest workout. We try to work out and, and keep our heart rate 60 to 80% of our heart rate max. Cause it's like the, the, in, you know, again, going over 80%, right. I'm sure. But I think if you keep, you know, you need some stress, but not too much stress. So if you yes. keep it in that, in that heart rate, Matt, if that you keep it in there, even for training, maybe don't, you know, go, don't go balls to the wall, but keep it yeah. kind of in control. Would it, wouldn't Absolutely. it be beneficial? Yes, and so that, that's what I was going to get to, is that high-intensity 
seem to create this window over eighty percent of your heart rate max or something yeah. you know, in that range, I, I right? Would say, I would say what most people should do is moderate exercise. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, keep it under eighty percent. You know, like kind of long kind of jogs mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. bikes. Try not to do um, anaerobic exercises too much either. Like a lot of lifting is probably going to create more of these the cytokine process, mm-hmm. uh, anti-inflammatory cytokine mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, admittedly, the study couldn't make a, a ton of conclusions, uh, but that is the best conclusion that they could make. And I think in this time, what you want to do is, I mean, the odds of most of your listeners uh, of, con- of dying from this disease are about one in 500 which is low, mm. you know, uh, one is about 0.2%. Mm. Um, so admittedly, it's, it's pretty low. Um, and as I said, 81% of people get like mild disease, but you know, odds are odds. Like I'd rather stack my cards and fill up my, as many aces up my sleeve as, as possible. So, right. um, I think moderate exercise is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, eating well, just general, mm-hmm. general good nutrition guidelines, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you, veggies um a lot of people have been talking about vitamin c and yes vitamin c does not has not shown to prevent you from getting this they even tried um uh they even tried high dose vitamin c iv infusions Mm. in a part of about 256 patients in Mm. china Mm. basically like the the sickest of the sick people they gave like three grams of iv infusions like every couple like every six hours Mm. and it showed to be of zero benefit. It's a myth, yeah, it's a myth. Yeah, no, but that being said, that wasn't a, a very select, okay. and pretty small population of very, very sick people. But in general, like vitamin C will just help your immune system anyway. Mm. So I don't benefit. I don't see the harm of it. I'm not mm. saying like chow down on your vitamin C yeah. um, supplements, okay. but make sure you're getting just general good health. Yeah, um, sleep, sleeping well and avoiding uh, alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one or two beers, fine, but like, don't go out and get hammered. Yeah. Like, that's not going to be good as well. Um, uh, one thing I'd like to touch on too is meditation is mm. is shown the no conclusive benefits of meditation. Um, um, but uh, the stress response: the more stressed we are, the more we have, and the stress response really is um, ramping up your kind of. Uh, adrenal glands mm-hmm. and your cortisol levels mm-hmm. which actually has been shown to decrease your immune response so if anything that you can do to decrease your stress and everything we're hearing is <laughs> right now is increasing our stress is going to help so yeah i try i try to meditate 20 minutes a day twice a day um i don't always get to mm-hmm. um but i've been trying to focus on it now Personally, yes, I've been doing some like moderate exercises, as, as you suggested, mm-hmm. 60 to 80, percent. Um, mm-hmm. just some cardio, I'm not mm-hmm. lifting a lot, um, and just general good health exercises. If you smoke, now's a really good time to stop <laughs> or cut down, Yeah, um, and also vapors as well. Um, I would just stop that shit. I know, <laughs> I know like there's some good properties to CBD, mm. but the way this thing enters your uh, body is through the lungs, mm. and just don't mess with it right now. Yeah, yeah, you don't want anything going in there. That you don't need, mm-hmm. um, you know. I have, you know, I have a, I have a, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu martial arts gym. You know, 
And um, what's your advice? You know, we, we talked about you know the stress and how your immune system. <laughs> if if you're not if you're stressed out, how your immune system drops, right? So I mean, going to Costco and you know finding people over the toilet paper and the waters um, is probably not good. And so I feel like ha- having our, our gym is still open. You know, um, I feel like it's a positive thing. We're laughing, we're we're training, and it's it's really helpful to know like hey you know don't don't go crazy but train it's good but is it, you think it's a, it's the right thing to do um to 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 keep training but just don't go crazy like what's what's the what do you suggest what is your advice uh, this is a tough question to pose to um Somebody who owns the gym. <laughs> I just thought Don, you know, I, I, that's why I spent like three, four hours yesterday just trying to yeah. like, like listen and learn, and do the right thing for the yeah. students. Yeah, it's part, part of your livelihood too. Like, my brother lives in LA and runs a nightclub in downtown called oh. Flash. Oh, and he's and he's going through the same issue. He's like, do I stay open? Like, you know, California is limited um, less than two fifty, and his capacity is two twenty. Like, mm. do I stay open? Am I like risking things? Yeah really tough decision um to be quite honest i would avoid um personally and i know this is tough to hear i would avoid rolling with anybody Mm. you're getting really close contact up and close you may be in that late period where you don't have symptoms you may be asymptomatic but you could be infectious so i don't think that's a good idea right now Mm -hmm. to be quite honest however Mm -hmm. What I do like is that, yes, keeping everybody's not just immune system healthy, but their stress levels low, which is going to impact, uh, impact immune systems. But, uh, you know, not keeping anxiety levels low in general for the health of the whole community, mm-hmm. you know, it's a good thing. So I think keeping your gym open, but maybe instituting like, hey, let's not roll right now. Maybe yeah. let's, see. Let's, <laughs> let's see how this goes. Yeah. Keep it, keep it under control. Move, move your bodies. The social aspect, but you know, yeah. don't don't go crazy until we know what's what's what, and you know, yeah. we have to grasp on things. Okay, that's, yeah, that's and, good advice. Maybe some no handshakes. You know, if you're gonna if you if people are gonna greet each other in the gym, do the. I think it's actually kind of fun the Wuhan shake. You know, you touch two feet together, or you can make up some elaborate. <laughs> I, th- I think that's, uh, I would probably institute that at your, at your all facilities, and that should be just our civic duty, and it's part of everybody's duty to keep this from spreading. Um, because what's mo- what's the most dangerous thing for everybody is that what's happening in Italy, Italy is their, their healthcare systems are just completely overwhelmed. Yeah. So like, even if, so we're still having our day-to-day emergencies, right? Like right. our heart attacks, our strokes, our car crashes, or people falling, breaking bones, having non- COVID-19 related illnesses. We're still mm-hmm. having those on a daily basis. And Italy's response time in some of their communities for 911, which was normally around eight minutes, mm-hmm. has jumped an hour. Wow. Fucking hours. Wow. If you're having a heart attack or your family's having, one of your family members is having a heart attack and it takes EMS paramedics an hour to get to you, yeah, you're done. you just missed the golden window of treating yeah. it. Yeah. So... So I think it's collectively our our whole society's duty to do as much as we can, which is wash hands, don't say high five, don't shake hands. And by the way, I was watching Trump's uh, emergency declaration today, and <laughs> after he introduced everybody, he was fucking shaking everybody's hand. <laughs> Leave from the top. I'm sorry, but I'm not trying to be political anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Leave from the top. Yeah. Uh, damn. 
You know, um, but is it is it is it not airborne? I've heard it's like airborne. Like I mean, it's just going through the air. Is it going to really make a difference? The like the handshakes and the where where versus a, a fist bump. You know, I mean, if you touch, I don't know. Just it's just it's, it's the it's par- the paranoia. You know. I'll tell you right now, it's absolutely going to make a difference to not be shaking hands. Okay. Because that's how flu is exactly contracted. Okay. You've you got something on your hands that you don't know. You could have touched something on a table that now you touch somebody else. And now you're... And that's how this is spread. It's, kind of, it's called droplet spread. And that's what we institute in the hospital is droplet precautions. So basically, you cough or sneeze and these small little aerosolized droplets... Hang out in the air for a little while, right. but not very long. Okay. Not long at all, but they fall, and they fall in the environment around you. Mm-hmm. Or you cough in your hand, mm-hmm. and or you cough into something, and then you put that something onto the environment, and then it spreads. And that was a good time. We didn't touch on masks. Masks is a good thing to touch about. Touch mm-hmm. on. Is yeah. A surgical mask, the regular surgical mask is going to do nothing to keep you from getting this virus. So hmm. see people walking around with surgical masks is a little bit frustrating um, because it can come in, in around the sides. And also, if you're not used to having a mask on or if you're not trained to don, meaning put on, or doff, meaning take off the mask properly, you're just touching your face and your eyes way more than you should be. And that's mm. what's putting you. The masks are actually putting you at higher risk. And some people are asking, well, what about these N95 masks? Mm. And N95 basically means it filters out 95% of a certain size particle. I think it's like three microns Hmm. um, from the environment. Hmm. And so there's N100s, which are really expensive, and I don't think you can get those right Hmm. now. Sold out. Yeah, yeah, full out. The it's toilet paper, t- toilet paper, and the the masks that actually work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so masks actually, even if you have an N95 mask on, we don't have one. We don't have enough because if you walk around for half a day and this virus is out, it's going to get on that mask. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It, just, it just becomes a reservoir. Yeah, and so you, now you are touching that mask. Yeah, and now then you put your eyes. You're not right. taking it off properly, right? And so it just at much higher risk. And so a lot of people are talking about we need to say the mask for the healthcare workers, but I would like to just even preempt that and say, look, masks are just putting you with way more risk. The only time you should be wearing a mask is if you actually are sick, because it'll it'll prevent you from spreading those droplets to the environment around you and keep that cough inside the mask yeah yeah uh, I just I, I, I guess we're just we're just fucked <laughs> that seems like <laughs> no, it's fine. No, we're not we're not we're not we are not we have strong, we have strong people. We yeah, strong. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I believe in, you know, our, I believe in the, our, the human spirit and like our capabilities, yes. and I, I believe yeah. we're gonna just get through it. You know, if you get sick, you get sick, and hopefully, you don't get so sick yeah. that you die. But you know, we just gotta face it. I feel like I'd rather just get sick than be in fear of, of this. You know, that's how I feel with like yeah. jujitsu and everything else. Like, man, I wanna, I wanna, I'll die on my feet. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to live in fear. Of getting yeah. something. You're right. You're right. And oh, man. You know, to, get a, to get a little bit philosophical in that, you know, um, being in the hospital, I, I, I've already said to myself, I'm going to get this because we're running out of, we're running out of masks to be quite yeah. honest. Like, yeah. I've been hearing, 
where this is hitting the hardest first in the United States, at least, was Washington State. Mm. And I'm hearing from my colleagues there that they're only now able to wear those N95s when we do the most high-risk procedures, which is basically intubation, where we put a breathing tube down people, mm-hmm. or doing bronchoscopies, basically putting cameras down to look at the lungs and try and suction out any junk that has fallen down mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So that's the only time that the people, they've run so low on masks in Washington, that's the only time that they they can use them. Mm-hmm. So all the other times when I'm just coming in contact with people with this, I'm not going to have the proper mask, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a little bit frightening, to be yeah. honest, because... Because what this means is like because all of the sickest of the sick are going to be filtered towards the emergency departments. Um, you're on the front. Also, you're on the front front line. I'm getting it. Like I've already accepted. I'm getting this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But being that I am in the position I am, uh, the the oath that we took to become physicians puts us in harm's way, and we accepted that for the greater good of the community this is where we stand and this is where we draw the line. And most of us are on the side of the line that I am on. Mm-hmm. However, that, be, that being said, I have colleagues who are 60 mm-hmm. or have diabetes mm-hmm. who are immunosuppressants because they have um, Crohn's disease mm-hmm. or they have uh, a type of reactive arthritis. And that puts them at a significant risk of not, of contracting the disease just like me, but mm-hmm. also... Know, some of them a 15 to 20 percent chance of dying yeah you know and yeah. so a lot of our colleagues are like risking that yeah they're risking yeah you know because they, if we step down or if we get sick who else is gonna do it mm. yeah yeah i just feel like everybody is in panic mode you know and i just i want to i want to be i don't know i want to be strong and i feel like the right thing is like hey let's <laughs> let's just all if you're if you know if you have somebody elderly and and sick like you know be responsible and don't come in stay at home yep. and uh and yep. uh you know you know if somebody you know that's in that the the danger danger um um uh, demographic like you know definitely be responsible and, and don't come near like don't train jujitsu or you know uh be in a big group thing but but uh yeah for me i'm just I, I don't have that, so so I don't know. I'd rather, like I said, <laughs> just not be, not have fear in my in my head, you know, and and just live my life normally. And if we get it, we get it. If I get it, I get it, you know, and I'm okay with that. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Don. There's no reason to panic, and there's no yeah. reason to be fearful. That's more. It seems like from your article too. Like that's like the number. That's the worst thing is the panic, right? The panic. Yeah, it's acceptance. Is I think is acceptance knowledge and reliable knowledge because mm-hmm. there's going to be a whole lot of bullshit being yeah. spread around it yeah. is, you know, trust your medical professionals yes. there's no reason for them to spin anything the wrong way business uh, leaders government officials they have a spin on everything mm-hmm. you know We're not, we have zero spins mm-hmm. other than trying to look out for the, uh, our communities yeah. so um, validate uh, trust but validate any resource you find and listen to the CDC, the NIH, the WHO, your government and state um, uh, health officials. Mm-hmm. We're all going to get through this. It'll yeah. be, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. The world is gonna be a little bit different for a while, um, but that's okay. Like, yeah. We adapt and yeah. uh, we're, we're not scared and we're not fearful. Yeah. You know, we're, this is all one hurling rock through <laughs> the, 
a crazy universe. Yeah, going and we've been through much. We've been through much worse than, and man, mankind has yeah. been through much worse. This is like a nothing compared to what we've yeah. been through. Yeah, and so we will get through this relying on the strength of all of us in community, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's you know uh, in Hawaii we call it the uh, spirit of aloha, mm-hmm. and every culture has their own uh, definition and, and can palpate it in their own way. Um, but community is what is going to get this us through this and washing our hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and fist bumps, no, no handshakes, fist bumps. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll implement yeah. that today. Fist bumps from now yeah. on. Yeah. Even though I, I tend to always want to handshake and even hug, slap the, the jujitsu hugs, you know. Uh, <laughs> especially here in Hawaii, I mean, it, one of the things that might have even uh, spread the disease in Italy quicker is that you know they love the double kiss. Yeah, the kiss. Yeah, like right? in Brazil and, as well. Hawaii, Hawaii, we do the single kiss. Oh, uh, like, okay. And so, um, yeah, now we're just doing the shop here. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> that's it. Hundred percent safe. The shop is hundred percent safe. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's a good one. Um, you know, I want I just want to ask you like we kind of went into it, but you know, just to fit, kind of finish off, like what should you do to prevent getting sick? What can you do to prevent getting sick? Sure. Um, okay. First off, uh, as we mentioned, washing your hands. Mm-hmm. Two social distancing so don't shake hands um to be quite honest don't be around large crowds mm-hmm. at this point yeah most areas of la are now you guys are going to start seeing the uh a flare and an outbreak in the next two weeks mm-hmm. and being that of this incubation period can vary um you know uh the doubling time the time to that it doubles in infections is about four to five days so mm-hmm. if you've got like say, 100 cases then now you're going to have 200 in, in four or five days. You're going to have 400 in four or five days after that. So it's in the kind of a very exponential increase. Mm-hmm. Um, so wash hands, social distancing, um, and only use the health, try and use health resources from kind of a remote perspective as possible. Mm-hmm. So seek remote care. If you can call your doctor first, mm-hmm. if you can telemedicine, you know, there's some companies out there. Um, if you're sick, isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what is happening on your state and everybody's state jurisdictions, but here in Hawaii, we are, uh, I think by two days ago, we had a couple urgent cares that are able to do drive through testing. So basically you roll up, they, uh, come outside, they come to your car they stick the swab in your nose, mm. only having symptoms. Mm. Um, and then um, you can take off and, and you stay in your car. You haven't come into any waiting room. You haven't come into contact with anybody. And then you'll know in a couple of days. Uh, we have a couple of state um, resources, drive through resources that are starting, uh, I think, tomorrow. Um, South Korea modeled this really well. Um, I think every government and state jurisdiction in the United States is working on their own version of it. So stay tuned and talk to your um, department officials and mm. uh, uh, where you are. How, how's, uh, Korea, how's Korea doing with the virus? Korea's um, doing uh, better than I think we're going to fare and what Italy fared is because they've tested, they've had early onset testing. Mm. And there's this whole hubbub about this testing and you know what, from somebody who's on the front lines, like there's a lot of pieces missing in my mind is mm. that when you have any test, any medical test, uh, medicine is a science of probabilities. Being mm-hmm. like, given a, given a certain amount of symptoms, what's the probability that you have a certain disease? Mm-hmm. 
tests help us shift those probabilities. So if you come in with the flu and or symptoms that sound like the flu or coronavirus and you're negative for the flu, that takes that off the table, right? Mm-hmm. But every test has a sensitivity and specificity, meaning like, all right, if you, if I, if you get this test, um, what are the chances there's going to be false positives? Meaning like it says you have, it says you have the disease, but you actually don't have, because you know, not everything's a hundred percent reliable, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But also false negatives, meaning, all right, you tested negative, but you ended up like, testing positive a couple days later. Mm-hmm. And then that might just be you're too early in onset in the, in the uh, course of the disease, but mm-hmm. also our tests are not a hundred percent perfect. Right. So, what I have heard, and I haven't seen numbers yet, is that the tests that South Korea rolled out were not extremely accurate. Mm. So the sensitivity and specificity, the two numbers that we look at to judge accuracy of a test, were on the order of like 70 to 80 percent. So that is why their mortality numbers are a little bit lower. Their mortality numbers are about 0.7 percent, whereas like in Italy, it's still up at three. Mm. And... For me, for somebody who's not privy to this information, because I'm more on the front lines, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, well, what, what tests are they using and what's the sensitivity and specificity? Because the South Koreans are picking up like every coronavirus, even the benign coronavirus. Mm. So that might be why their numbers are mm-hmm. So how is Korea doing better than we fear? Because mm-hmm. at least they're testing more. I'd rather be on the side of testing more. Yeah, because more we're not fun. really we're not really testing. It seems like, or we weren't testing at all. Right? Or we don't have they went on the kits, and then I think we're even discouraged to not even go for a test, right? So people don't panic. Yeah, yeah, and um, at this point, like the cat's a little bit out of the bag. Like, yeah, if you have that are consistent with this, you probably have it. But there is always that self reassurance that all right, I have. I tested and I'm negative, or mm-hmm. I tested and I'm positive. Yeah. I know now. Yeah. I would encourage people not to just jump to, I need to get tested. I need to get tested. Right. I need to get tested. Right. Do so in the most reliable manner possible. And that, like, don't go to the ER. Honestly, don't. Because mm-hmm. that's like running into a burning building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is where the sickness of the sick going to be. If you do have it and you're sitting in a waiting room mm-hmm. or you're sitting in a trash tent with everybody else, yeah. you're going to spread it or yeah. you're going to be yeah. somebody who has it. That's you good. don't have it. That's good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's good. So, like, go, go to places where, like, all right, I can stay in my car, I can get drive-through testing. Yeah. But by all means, like, if you're feeling, like, severe <laughs> ill or short of breath, all right, pull the trigger. And also, be careful about calling 911, mm. because if you take out two paramedics, say, the one driving the ambulance, the one caring for you in the back of the ambulance, mm-hmm. paramedics usually do 24-hour shifts, right? You take two of them off the market, that means there's probably three 24-hour shifts in the next next seven days to, to uh, 10 days that now need to be picked up by the healthy ones. And yeah. then that puts the healthy ones at yeah. more risk of contracting disease. Yeah. They can get ill. So, like, calling 911, like, just do it when you're like, oh, shit, I'm like, I'm, I'm out of time, you know? But by all means, if, you have, if you're having shorter breath and you're, you can't get to the hospital, do it. Like, I'm not telling you not to. Yeah. You know, like going back to the fear thing, like people are so scared. Oh, I'm going to get it. It's, it's like, a th- like it's a de- death sentence. But how, how, how long are you sick for? So um, normally if you just have mild symptoms, it's about 10 days to 14 days. Okay. And you'll come to resolution, which is longer than the flu. The flu is usually about five to seven. Okay. So it's longer. Okay. 
longer. But if like there's people that are getting admitted and getting intubated and getting into the uh, critical care um, areas of the hospitals, three to six weeks sometimes they're on it, they're on ventilators for three to six weeks mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you know what they're facing in Italy now is that. About 5% of people who contract this, and it's mostly people over the age of 70 to 80, mm. uh, can get critically ill. Mm. Critically ill means like they need these negative pressure isolation rooms where mm. when you open the door to these rooms, it sucks air in instead of pushing air out. Mm. Or they need to be on a ventilator. And yeah. So like the amount of ventilators we have here in the state of Hawaii, I think it's like 300. No, oh my God. Uh, let me just do a rough, rough math in my head. So we have oh 300, uh, 300 ventilators. Uh, <laughs> we have a population of 1.4 million. If 50, per, let's just say on a low end, if 50% of people get this, that's 700,000. And so 5% of 700,000 is like... Yeah. Uh, We're, you're, they're done. They're done. <laughs> <laughs> just rest. Stay home. Rest. Drink, yeah. You know, eat good. Yeah. And that's why we want to flatten the goddamn curve. Because yeah. if everybody gets sick at once, yeah. we do not have the capability to to care for everyone. Yeah. And then you have to make you start making decisions like what the, the doctors in Italy are making. We're like, uh, who who gets this ventilator? I got to take this person off because this person is younger, or this person doesn't have diabetes. Mm-hmm. They have a better chance of surviving this than this person. Which is decisions we don't want to have to make. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, terrible. And so I don't think we're going to get there. Um, everybody's cooperation in doing those three methods of washing your hands, social mm-hmm. distancing, mm-hmm. using healthcare remotely, um, and only when you need it, mm-hmm. are going to help us that curve. Yeah. So hygiene, social distancing, but nutrition, right? Like you were saying, sleep. Exertion yeah. levels when you exercise. Exercising is good, right? That you're in exercise today to, to stay healthy. Keep it moderate. Mo- moderate, right? Six to eight percent, and uh, you know you said meditation too, right? To get those balance those hormones out and everything else, right? In the in in, yeah. in the body um, is can help you prevent it, right? Or at least you know uh, feel better or not get get such bad symptoms when you do get it. Uh, I, I can't go that far, but okay. I would say. Stack your cards as much as yeah, possible. Yeah, for sure. In your favor. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. I wanted to ask you, thank you so much for all this information. I've been just trying to learn and, and understand. And, you know, so I really appreciate just all the all the things you're talking about. And I'm definitely going to watch that Netflix uh, uh, show now. Uh, I didn't even know about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit eerie. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, give it a watch. Yeah. It's mostly to do with flu and Ebola, but you know, for yeah. yeah, and you know, you going, you, you. Uh, I, I, read another article of yours uh, when you were a, fi- a fight doctor. In my in my heyday, I used to be. Yeah, yeah, in here in LA, in Los Angeles. I did. Yeah, I worked. Um, uh, shoot, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. I'm blanking on his name. So I worked with Camel. Camel, right? right? The amateur, the amateur league. Who oh. just fought and lost to? Um, the heavyweight, what's his name? Um, uh, Daniel Cormier. Not, not, not Cormier. Uh, John Jones. He fought John Jones. Um, uh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, he, he he fought on the camo card when you were there. Yeah, like so he was coming up, and like there was this buzz about him. Like, what is his name? I'm just hold on. I need yeah. to find his name. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lost. Uh, John. Jones. 
my brother's gonna. Uh, oh, whatever. Uh, he's got the beard. Do you know his name? Uh, I do. I just I can't. I don't know. If, I mean, he's yeah. not like a common common uh, name for me, but that's why I can't yeah. come off the top of my head. But I'll, I'll look. Anyway, it up. so he was, yeah, he was coming up to the camel leagues at that point, and my God, like the the knockouts he was having in the heavyweight division then, because he was fighting some. You know, not everybody was up to par with where he was. Right. Oh my gosh! Like I, I had to send a couple guys to the ER. <laughs> you know, they ended up being fine, but I did. Uh, just... I did. Uh, I did uh, like a podcast with. Uh, he's a he's a uh, radiologist. You know, he did. Uh, he majored in like a neuro, uh, neuroscience and stuff. And he did. Uh, he was at the USC. He was telling me some crazy stories of doing his uh, his res- residency there, or his third his third yeah. year. And that's that's where you went as well, right? Yes. Yeah, I went to. Um... Dominic Reyes is what's his name. Is. Okay, yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, yes, that's where I went, and yeah, I, I mean, the city of Los Angeles is large. Yeah. It's full of a lot of bikes, and car crashes, and motorcycle accidents, and violence, yeah. and so uh, we saw a lot of it there. Yeah, and he's just telling me, I mean, even I read your article, and he's saying, like, you know, you guys are doing all-nighters. And you're, you, you say to, to take off some of the steam or to relax, you became a fight doctor. How, how, how did that work? Uh, it worked. <laughs> um, you know what's great about it is because I always saw uh, my patients after the, the fact. Right? Uh-huh. It was either, you know, they either came in by car, they came in by ambulance, or I never saw the injury as it happened. So it was actually kind of enlightening for me huh. to be front and center. Um, Huh. And the sound of a fist, a fist on flesh is, um, nah, you know, I don't think I ever got used to it. It's still disturbing when you're you're that close to it. Yeah. Um, but it took my mind off of because there was less possibilities when I was watching it, mm-hmm. and um, I was able to more react and anticipate. And um, and I'm an athlete myself. I never competed in MMA. I was mostly a, a rugby guy. Ah, okay. um, uh, uh, but, you know, I enjoy sport and combat. Um, and I appreciated the uh, uh, the lengths that people do to, um, you know, in this all intense and highly uh, aggressive and um, catecholamine surge mm. where your body is just mm. like not only prepping to uh, exert itself, but also you've got somebody else across from you mm-hmm. who's trying to do the same to still the mind and mm-hmm. practice true martial artists mm-hmm. and think through your moves, think mm-hmm. through your tactics, mm-hmm. rather than acting out of pure just uh, instinctivity. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, I thought it was like a, a very, very uh, a poignant thing to watch in the fighters that I saw. Testament and, uh, the, the human spirit. Yeah, right. and, but Dominic yeah. Reyes didn't do that because he just whooped everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he brought it to John Jones. Yeah. Oh, man, thank you so much. It was very informative. I really appreciate your time. I hope you have a... Uh, you're going to work tonight, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get some of that exercise and meditate a bit and then try and nap. And then i got to shift in about six hours. So. Okay. Well, thank thank you so much. I'll probably put this out probably uh, today or tomorrow. Just get it up there for people to get some information for them to educate themselves the right way. Uh, Alberto, thank you so much for having me on. Like, it was Th- a real pleasure. Thank and, you. Uh, if you ever need me again, I'm available. Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>